meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast. I'm Dave Edler, and if you don't mind me saying so, listeners, you look fantastic today. Fantastic. Seriously, take a look at yourself. Your eternally silent presence is hot. Oh, yeah. It really gets my podcast juices flowing to know you're out there totally not communicating with us. Not using our phone number, 347-746-7828, to make your comments and ask us your questions. Call now. It's It's exciting knowing that you haven't sent us an email in a while at theshortcoats at gmail.com or... Checked out the myriad other ways to get in touch with us at uh, theshortcoat.com slash tell us. D- Dave, you're, you're never allowed to say juices flowing again. Juices. Uh, luckily, uh, I don't really have to do this by myself. I've got uh, John Pienta. Hello. Mark Mubarak. Hey. Matt Maves. Hello. And Levi Endelman hey. here to help fill in the stony silence that might otherwise occur. If I was doing this by myself, the stoned silence. Stony, you mean? stony. Those days are long gone. Matt, it's been a long time. It's been a while. Yeah, you've been away for much of your M three year in our uh, state capital of Des Moines, doing your rotations in uh, hospitals there. Why would you? Why would you choose that over, say, staying here with me? Well, Dave, I didn't want to tell you, but I was actually trying to get away from you. Is it? But... A, is it? A, it's my breath, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, if, if you're going to, you know, like, try and pin me down here, then... But, no, uh, so Des Moines was, you know, they, they, try and, they try and woo you over a little bit there. They get they put on a nice dinner to get you to show up, and they talk about it, and they kind of show the scores. And, you know, part of the reason they sold it is the, the word that I will not use, but it was an influx of students oh. for six months. Yeah so, yeah, so so let's give a little background here, because this is interesting. Uh, First of all, the Des Moines thing is where our students can go to the Des Moines area and do some rotations in community hospitals there, maybe for for various reasons. That's a good idea. We'll talk about that in a minute. But then the other word that he's not using is bulge. Oh, yes. The bulge. Right. So so as we uh, as we changed curriculums here there for one reason or another, it turned out there were just a ton of students trying to get their rotations in all at the same time. So, you know, we had to deal with that in some creative ways. Among them, inviting people to Des Moines to do their rotations. But this is a, this is a thing that's been going on for a while. Yeah, yeah. So Des Moines, Des Moines has been going on for for quite a while. I think uh, Dr. Craig, who's the one in charge there, says that he did rotations there. Maybe Dr. Cooper did rotations yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't officially like a year long thing until four or five years ago, something like that. So it's basically you can go do your core clerkships there. There's usually I think about twenty four or so year long people that go there. And then they usually have spots open for people doing away rotations there as well. So part one of the nice things in Des Moines when I was doing it was for six months, as Dave mentioned, there were quite a few M2s. There was the whole M2 class and the whole M3 class on rotations, which of course posed many challenges. Des Moines was not going to have to deal with quite as much of it as Iowa City was. So that was something nice to look forward to is you weren't going to have to deal with competing with quite as many people to see patients and, uh, you know, have time with your professors. It's also nice to go and see a community setting 
because we, we spend all our time in academic centers. So it's kind of nice to see. It's a different patient yeah. population there, for, for instance. It is a little bit different. Well, so you get to go, actually, you go to a few different hospitals. Methodist is the main hospital you're at, um, but you also go to Broadlawns, which is the community hospital in Des Moines. Um, and uh, then you, you do psych at Lutheran, and uh, there's a brief little bit at the VA. So, I mean, it's, I feel like the patient population is not that much different just because you go such a wide variety of places. But uh, you do end up with a lot of badges because I had my badge <laughs> from here. I had my VA badge. Collection. I had my Methodist badge. I had my Broadlawns badge. And then I think I had a sticker for like just a couple days I had to go to Mercy that I had to put on my Methodist badge. So, yeah, it was nice. Yeah. I thought you were talking about Pokemon, man. I kind of zoned out there. Well, I mean, I, I knocking out dojos, getting badges. Yeah. I, I was pretty upset. So I came back to Iowa City in July and what Pokemon Go came out July or August, something like that. And I recently found out there's a there's a sculpture park in Des Moines that's literally just like a half a block south of where all the med students stay. It's just filled with Pokestops, just like Pokestops everywhere. I'm like, man, I can just walk out my door and there's one right here. Yeah, well, right here in this yeah, room. Are, are there like eight within a hundred feet of this? No, no, no. That's Sorry. what we thought. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Dave, I tried. Kill. Plus, I mean, let's face it. Iowa City is in every way lesser than Des Moines. Let's just including Pokemon. Right? It might be. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I, I haven't been That's back. That's not to, true. I haven't been back. All right. But I will be back in October for a PZR rotation. So I'll I'll let you know if there are better Pokemon there. All right. That's good. Yeah. They have a crazy good room and board situation there too for, for students, don't they? So I it's right across the street. The the digs are maybe not what most people would consider fancy. They have all the essentials. You stay in like a studio apartment, so you have your own kitchen and bathroom and uh, bedroom, living room combined into one thing sort of thing. Um, so it's not super spacious. So I would not advise bringing your wife and family or husband and family or any more than just you and maybe one other person. There were a couple couples that lived there, oh. but um, it's not super spacious, but it is furnished. So you don't really have to, it's not very difficult to move. And like I said, for some of the rotations, it's right across the street. So surgery you do at Methodist. So when you have to be there at like 5 in the morning or 4.30 or whatever the heck it was, you can just get up and walk across the street. Nice. Yes. Well, good. Yes. So nothing really weird in the patient population you want to report? Um, Broadlands attracts a few interesting people, but uh, typically the people who aren't Going to the doctor very often, I feel like, are the ones that end up at Broadlands. Okay. It's an excellent place to, to go, though, because they, they give med students a lot of opportunities. And the family med residents get to kind of run the program a little bit. So it's it's fun to work with them. But uh, they've got a few interesting patients that come there. What about Indian dudes swallowing 40 folding knives? Any Anything like that? I don't. I don't think I ran across any, but yeah. I, I think that maybe you'd like to talk about one. Uh, I was just intrigued by this story that I read in in one of the newspapers. But clearly, out of India, or was definitely out of India, and the photo featured. <laughs> so it's about this policeman who um, who swallowed uh, over the course of a couple of months. Who swallowed, managed to swallow forty folding knives and had to have them removed. He had, uh, you know, I guess it's basically pica is the illness he had he had a compulsion to swallow metal metallophagia i read is is what that particular version is called 
Um, but I was particularly intrigued by the picture of, of the uh, gentleman in question who, uh, I guess there's no right to pr medical privacy in India because this poor guy is like lying on a stretcher surrounded by his doctors and in front of him are the folding knives that he's swallowed on a tray and he looks kind of out of it um, as though he might be in the recovery room and uh, I just felt bad for this poor guy who was quoted in the paper as saying you know like I'm sorry for the pain I've caused my family and and, and I'm like wow that is like there's like no no interest in maintaining patient privacy in this situation none Wait, were these like pocket knives pocket I knives well, I mean they were uh, they all looked about the same size and in the article I read uh, unfolded they would be about seven inches long so figure half that uh, so yeah that's not quite a pocket knife I think or I guess it's a pocket knife yeah we know that at like the psych units here they keep a box of swallowed stuff right oh like they're they're people who just swallow things like that's just that's what they do yeah they're not anemic or anything they just choose to swallow things and lisa has told me that uh there there are some things that people swallow that you don't you wouldn't think that like steak knives you know like big yeah how big, does that work I'm, I'm not sure how they they do it some... but big box just full of stuff pulled out of people's stomachs so oh, yeah i'm i'm sure that um there are some repeat customers, I think, too. Yeah, and, uh, most definitely. And that uh, there's quite a collection, I, I imagine. There was a, uh, this is different, but there was a uh, peds department somewhere that had created an, an art display of, of all of the things that the children had swallowed and were recovered as a sort of an educational guide for parents. You know, they mm. created this display of things that they, they discovered. Don't leave these around the house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The when those magnets came out, the buckyballs. I remember that. Oh was yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Because you swallow a magnet. That that's so, like, that's yeah. like you swallow two magnets and you're screwed. Correct. Basically, yeah. Mm -hmm. Swallowing one magnet not such a big deal. Swallowing two can be a huge, huge problem, especially if you don't swallow them together. Mm -hmm. My daughter swallowed a marble when she was, I'm going to say, three years old, and thus began the wonderful poop watch of 2010 where we had to continually monitor the poop for the passage of this marble in case it didn't come out. It was awesome. How long did that take? Uh, I want to say it took about, it took longer than I expected, like a week or so, maybe maybe a bit longer, if I remember correctly. Was I, this observation only, or did you have to sift? Oh, you got to get to. You got to get in there and make sure that it's. Okay. I mean, you know, you, you, there are ways to dude, do it without, dude. you know, actually touching it. But you know, I would. That's why I'm I just assume so. <laughs> no, you you have to touch it. It's essential. It's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a like, tactile yeah. thing. You don't like reach in there with your fingers and squish it through your, you know, like let it run <laughs> out. Jurassic <laughs> Park when I. <laughs> you know, reaching in. You know, I I actually we use cloth diapers at home. And there have definitely been moments where I'm like, you know what, I'm tired of like trying to scrape this off of this diaper with a piece of toilet paper. You know, I'm just going to go for it. Go for what? Just scrape it off by my Oh, hands. oh, oh. You yeah, know, well, so just grabbing it. Parents you know, get just get your hands in the poo and then wash them parents, very thoroughly, especially your fingernails, and you, you'll be fine. Parents, and I'm assuming nurses and, and, and doctors maybe even get used to a lot of really horrible things that would otherwise that would make mere mortals cringe mere mortals come on i i no longer want to instantly vomit when i smell my anyway <laughs> vomit anyway we'll just, yeah there we go so uh so yeah man big pharma's 
getting kind of getting its butt kicked a little bit on social media and elsewhere because uh, of the uh, news that of price gouging by EpiPen maker Mylan, I guess is how you pronounce it. Uh, a two pack of EpiPens, which is how you usually buy them, costs about six hundred bucks now, and this is up from this is up from a hundred bucks in constant dollars from two thousand four. So about five hundred dollars increase. My Mylan's been gradually raising the price since. Uh, then by about nine to fifteen percent each time, but this year, everybody sat up and took notice when they suddenly when it suddenly jumped uh, about a hundred bucks from last year, and also some health plans are increasing deductibles and copays. So all of a sudden, everybody's like, "Hey, wait yeah. a minute!" So yeah, I think it's really you know really asinine because the the reason it's being done is pretty transparent. So it's about to go off patent, mm-hmm. and so generics will come out now. Generic- There's already a generic. No. For, that's what I said in so, there. So the generic, they get exclu- brand exclusivity for like six months or a year mm-hmm. when the generic first comes out. So the generic is still made by the same company. Oh. And that's like when a drug first goes generic and you get it, like you might actually notice. You're like, wait, this is the same pill hmm. because it's still made by the same people. But sold by a different... Yeah. So it's really not generic. Oh. But it's still like... That allows people to start like building their factory or whatever oh, to manufacture it, and so it's it's a really transparent move to just try to maximize profit, make as their, much money as they can yeah. now before it goes. Yeah, and they raised it significantly when their um, competitor, the AviQ, which is a talking EpiPen, uh, was recalled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I've said on the show before, my son has a tree nut allergy, uh, uses EpiPens. Use, he has a what? A, he has an allergy to Trina? Tree nuts. Oh, okay. Who's Trina? <laughs> I don't know, but I don't know who you're exposing if your child I was having another child, child, I might to. name them Trina. I like that. It's those cooties. Yeah. <laughs> get you. But, uh, yeah, so so the, the thing, so we, we, did, ha- we did use AviQ. We, we switched to AviQ in favor of, or in, a, after using EpiPens for, for years. And it was great because it was little. You carried it in your pocket. It was small. Mm-hmm. Um, the talking thing, whatever. You know. Yeah. I don't care about that. But uh, but you know, you could you could actually fit it in your pocket. I mean, it was no bigger mm-hmm. than a pack of cards. It was really convenient. And then when it went off the market, because apparently they it wasn't delivering the dosage that it should have, um, and it still hasn't come back off the market or back on the market. Um, it was distressing to have to go back to this giant like Cuban cigar size, bigger. Oh, that's not what I was thinking. Shut up, Joe. Um, <laughs> thing that you've got to carry around in your pocket. And and the thing about, about EpiPens is you don't buy just one. You know, you buy many as a parent of a kid with tree nut allergy. You you buy many pa- many EpiPens. Right. You want one in the car. One you the, want one in your No, purse. you can't you even keep one. one in the car. You can't keep one in the car. Yeah. It will it will heat up and degrade and so you've got to you've got to keep track of that's the other thing it's kind of fragile the the medicine itself is kind of fragile so you can't you can't let it get too cold um, you can't let it get too hot otherwise you got to buy a new one um, yeah see and this is where they this is where they get you too so uh, expiration on medication is set by default like by regulation to be the point at which there is you know certainty that ninety percent of the potency of the drug remains mm. but they get if you go by you know, the same preparation of liquid epinephrine for injection in a hospital, I guarantee you it has a shelf life longer than one year. Yeah. It could be, a sh- and it may be like a decade. 
and probably not, but it, I mean, it's going to be way longer than longer one year. Than year. But because they can make the argument that, well, who knows where they're putting it? You know, maybe they're putting it in their car. It could be really hot. It won't last as long then. So they have to buy one every year. Come on, you know. So in reality, yes, they're still good. Yeah, that might be true. And a lot of parents are sort of turning to carrying around expired EpiPens and and but I think the problem with that is that you if you try to bring that to a school and say here use this on my kid if he needs it they're gonna be like no right absolutely you gotta you gotta get a new one mm -hmm. and um, so you just buy the new one for the school and you assume at worst case that you have to use two instead of one mm -hmm. or rather use two where you might have used one but I doubt that that will be the case um, this is not cons constitute medical advice no I'll say a lot of, I don't think a lot of parents will listen to you anyway I think that that I, I think a lot of parents are probably gonna be like hey you know this is the expiration date and maybe you're right but maybe you're wrong right I mean oh, I, yeah. I don't know I'll that I would feel real comfortable and I know some things I don't I don't even know that I would feel comfortable like I'll take a risk with ibuprofen <laughs> anaphylaxis not so much yeah that's yeah true. well but my point is if you have nothing then this is an issue and, you know, waving a life-saving drug over people's heads is really, is really it's insulting. Gross. Ah, it's gross. So the, I'm just reading here online a bit more. So the big onus, too, was not just the November 15, 2015 recall of the other option, uh -huh. but Tiva Pharmaceuticals got denied with their generic drug, so it extended the time period. Oh, I didn't read about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think they saw that opportunity of, you know, extended money to be made. By the way, there's no, absolutely no reason that the epinephrine needs to be injected. It could be inhaled. It could be a nasal spray. It could, there could be many ways you could administer this epinephrine into the bloodstream. I mean, you could do freaking eye drops. Is it easier to control dosage as an injection? I'm not, not that I know of. I mean, especially if you miss. Well, yeah, because you're, it's intramuscular. Mm -hmm. Right or or subdermal or something like it's that. It's intramuscular. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can do it on an unconscious person because right. then, but it's a little harder to get somebody who's unconscious to use an inhaler. But yeah. but it's not like it actually has to. So so, so for just, an inhaler, an asthma inhaler to work, the medication needs to reach like the lung parenchyma. Right. It needs to reach the the tissue way down at the end of the lung. But epinephrine, man, we just need it in your bloodstream, yeah, right? Like cobra, cobra venom in your eye will kill you right. because it gets into your bloodstream. So like the spitting cobra hitting your eye will kill you. So this is the same thing. I mean, uh, that would probably cause eye irritation. I don't know. But there's no reason it needs to be an injection. Hmm. This is just another way of capitalizing on the market. Yeah. So some EMTs and parents are turning back to regular syringes filled with epinephrine at roughly 20 bucks a pair, uh, which sounds good, except that there are some risks associated with that as well. Like if you accidentally hit a hit a vein or something, I suppose that would cause some problems, right? You just inject it in the same place. Well, I mean, just so- Give it in their shoulder instead or something. One of the things, it's not supposed to be given IV, correct? Yeah, it's that, isn't that a different- Yes, I mean, you wouldn't give you that just, dose IV, but the reason, part of the reason they set that dose as the threshold for like the dose is that, if you do give that dose IV, if you manage to like hit their femoral artery when you hit their thigh, um, you'd have to be way out of the outside of the thigh. But um, did I say femoral artery? Femoral vein. If you manage to hit that, it should not cause like cardiac arrest or something like that in the person. Fortunately uh, for Mylan, everybody's favorite disgraced pharma bro, Martin Shkreli, spoke up and said, 
that he didn't think it was Mylan's fault. Um, that the insurance companies are just increasing out-of-pocket expenses for, for patients and pr- increasing the price, and it's it's really the insurance companies that are at fault here. No, it's it's and everyone. And this, it's the everyone. CEO did that too as well. And Pulled it, a little yeah. thanks Obama and said it was part of the. the really yeah. attributed it to the. Yeah. Well, the funny. Care Act. The you funny know what, thing though, is, it's nice that Martin spoke up. I think everybody wants Martin involved in the conversation at yeah, this point. You yeah, know? yeah, including I'm Martin. Sure, yeah, I'm sure Mylan was like, <laughs> "Oh, great." It's Martin. No, there's nobody. There's nobody better to have come to our aid than Martin Shkreli. Right. They say no press is bad press, but I think that might be. A, yeah. Oh, poor Martin. So, I think it's it's crazy though that like every single player. It's really funny that the insurance companies wrote Obamacare. You yeah. know, it wasn't like you and I as healthcare recipients got together and got our lobbyist group to write us legislation. No, it was pharma, you know, the insurance companies and some players from people trying to represent the public. But it's not like we have real lobbyists for the American people's interests, but the people who have billions of dollars of profit to stake on definitely have lobbyists for their interests. They're spending millions on lobbying. It's way cheaper than for the research and development. Yeah, apparently. And in in fact, I think the stat was from like 2007, so it's a little dated. But I think American Fortune 500 companies spent literally 10 times as much on litigation and lobbying than they did on research and development. Literally 10 times as much. Well... I think it'll be interesting to see because, you know, Congress is involved now and they're, you know, doing whatever... A hypocritical thing that they might do to to i saw senator grassley got his name involved in this so yeah yeah here we go represent iowa yeah get, get our get our great state involved in this mm. anyway <laughs> uh you guys are all young and spry right look at you guys relatively sure good looking group uh-huh. uh so the effects of aging probably aren't a personal issue for you yet but uh, fortunately, a company called Elysium Health has created what it calls, quote, a daily health product designed to optimize and support your most critical metabolic systems like protein function, cellular detox, energy production. And ordinarily, you know, you'd be forgiven for thinking it's another BS fountain of youth claim from a company peddling snake oil. And the weird thing is, though, that Elysium's science advisory board is full of Nobel Prize winners. There are six of them, in fact. And the company's co-founder is one of the pioneers of aging research, uh, Leonard Garente, I think is how you pronounce his name, of the uh, Center for Science of Aging Research at MIT. And the product is called Basis. It contains teroi... I'm not going to pronounce this right, John. Terostilbene. (laughs) I don't think that's right at all. Terostilbene? Nico, nicotinamide riboside, riboside, whatever, they both occur naturally in blueberries and milk. Um, and so that allows Elysium to bypass the FDA and offer basis as a dietary supplement. What are the Nobel Prize winners getting out of this? Money? Money. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. That's what I was, I almost wanted to correct you. Like, oh, yeah, aging doesn't concern me, except if I was working for this company, like, I, you're going to make a fortune. There's a lot of literature that's starting to come out that shows just how interesting, just what kinds of interesting effects you can get with this um, nicotinamide riboside. Thank you for 
Kurt, what about the other one? Taro Stilbene? I don't know any I don't know anything about it, but but the thing is like this this is stuff that was fringe science and is really like and I think actually some of the researchers at Iowa here just did an article where they showed they can reverse an enormous proportion of the effects of a type 2 diabetic in type 2 diabetes inducing diet in the mouse model. Mm. And because it's it, nicotinamide riboside is one of the precursors to like NADH and NADPH. And you can basically use it to produce a lot more of this sort of energy shuttling parts of your uh, compounds in your cells. And the thought is then you're a- better able to facilitate exchange between the different molecules in, inside your cell that your cells use for energy. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear. Aging science is not it's a definitely a legitimate area of research i mean if we can sort of extend the span of health not necessarily the lifespan if we can extend the span of health that would probably be a you know a pretty good thing although you know i always wonder like like what are the knock-on effects of extending the span of health for instance you know nobody nobody gets new jobs because the old people are still <laughs> hanging around uh we've talked about this on the show before yeah. but anyway the you know i just think all these things are inter- it's always interesting for me to sort of think about extrapolating out you know how an extended lifespan or an extended health span would affect society as a whole i'm excited about it wait, wait, wait. just let's go back to this i don't want to you know go to a conversation that's been had already are you saying expanding that would be a negative because now we don't have enough resources. I I'm not for or against. I'm just, I don't I want you to suss that out. I'm not, I'm I think it's I think that yeah, basically. I think that okay. the planet only holds so many people. Okay. I do not I, you know, I'm not going to be like, you know, okay, when you get to to the age of X, you know, you're basically you know, we should just shuffle you off and let the new folks come in. I mean, I I don't think I'm ready to go that far, but if people hang well, around long not, enough, you're on the other side of that. Hill yeah, I mean, geez, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be old and 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 uh, and healthy as much as the next person. Um, but at the same time, it's interesting to sort of think about a society where, you know, the majority of people are very old and very spry and how that would very spry, very, you know, very healthy and how that would affect how that would affect the world. I think I think it has a I mean, obviously it. Let me see if I can make a completely vacuous statement. It has the potential to do good and bad. <laughs> well done. Uh, yeah. So, but I think that there's a lot of hidden good here. I mean, think about how much resource as a society is placed in essentially bringing you into a productive place in society, especially if you're a highly specialized individual, right? Think about how many people are like a very specialized researcher in medicine or a very specialized solar cell researcher or something like that, right? That's like 30 years of education to get you there. And to say that you can only work basically 20 years productively before you start having to schedule appointments and stuff for more medical issues and screening and et cetera. If we're able to delay that by even 10, 15 years, not to mention 30 or 40 years, we're going to keep the people who are really well-trained in those places for longer and yes it's already clear the writing is already on the wall for jobs writ large i mean we're gonna see this very fast but i'm very optimistic about the change that for example driverless cars will make so so you're saying that if, if we're gonna put thousands we're gonna put millions of people out of jobs with driverless cars oh it's gonna be wild 
but no, no need for insurance. No need to build one, parking like, decks. Uh, trans- oh, come on. Trans- insurance companies will find a way. Oh, yeah. No, but car insurance. <laughs> They'll be like, you have to have insurance to ride these vehicle vehicles. Vehicle insurance, yes, yes. vehicle repair, injury, so health insurance. is going to affect car dealerships, so many things. Car right? dealerships, a ton of stuff. Mm. Logistics, one of the, no- I think it's the number one job in America is logistics, yeah, logistics related yeah. and transportation. Yeah. So if you think about this, it is, it's the in- largest independent sector of the economy. Like if you look at something where you, you say like healthcare, okay, that's cheating. Cause I can, we can say big, you know, anyone Every, who works yeah, on delivering, can... distributing, producing drugs or any, you know, mm-hmm. obviously we can invoke like one third of the country. <laughs> Like every nurse, nursing assistant, doctor, et cetera, in the country, that that's basically like a third of the jobs. And Dave, you, uh, for whatever, right, he, and for whatever people, he's ad, worth. Right. Administrators associated, right. like all, all of those. Right. Like it's an enormous population. Like even Iowa City, there's probably half the people in the city, you know, are somehow involved in healthcare. It's maybe a bad example. I know. Right. Right. We, we have second per capita most doctors like either in the world or certainly in the United States yeah. next to the town Mayo is in Rochester, Minnesota. Yeah. Good old mayonnaise school. So, so maybe you're saying that, um, John, to get back to your other point, that the fact that, you know, we don't have to retrain people every 30 years, maybe we can increase that to 45. That eliminates uh, a certain amount of brain drain. Maybe we can retain that knowledge. Maybe. Right, right. Or we're maybe, maybe, you know, maybe those people can take 15 years more worth of grad students or, you know, et cetera, and bring and sort of stretch the umbrella out further. And as again, as we start to move towards an economy where sort of repetitive or simple or, or almost menial tasks are more and more done by robots and computers, uh, we will need more of those. And that's not to say that it's going to make up the difference, right? Because for every like 100 people on a factory line that you replace with one engineer who sees all the robots, like that's that's 100 to 1 loss to production ratio. So obviously we'll have to make up the difference with something else. And I don't want to launch down that. I think we've even talked about it before. Sure. But um, I think it's exciting. It's an exciting prospect because we're hopelessly dependent on technology. I mean, if you think of the, in biology, the term is carrying capacity, like the ability for an environment to sustain the population living in it. We are extraordinarily beyond the carrying capacity of this planet when it comes to like stone age technology. So if something were to render us back to medieval times or the stone age you know, billions of people on this planet would die because we we have to have industrial agriculture. We have to have, you know, cars to transport goods. We have to have that division of labor. Mm. We, there's not enough, you know, resources for everyone to be a, you know, a, a hunter gatherer and still have, you know, seven billion people alive on the planet. But that I also don't think that we're anywhere near the capacity because we're hitting a moving target. The capacity of this planet is largely developed, you know, is largely determined by the technology we have. Mm -hmm. Once we got to oil, we raised the bar. You know, once we get to solar and and wind and more renewables and better, safer nuclear and things like that, we raise the bar even more. So you don't see any negatives? Well, I mean, I think it's still we're still going to it's still going to be a huge stress, right? Like it's obviously going to be very stressful for our population to go through the changes we're about to go through. It's going to cause some kinds of paradigm shifts, and I don't know what they'll look like. Certainly hope they don't look like, you know, World War Five. So I think like any I mean, any change causes causes 
stress and upheaval. And there's, there, I mean, there's no mm -hmm. question that gradual or otherwise, you know, change is going to cause problems. Are they insurmountable? Probably not. We'll, we'll figure it out. I agree. I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if there's anything that that I've you know that I've been amazed by is that like one human resilience, like in just all of my experience in life, like the ability of humans to like get back up, dust it off, and get back in the ring, and then also human creativity. Mm. You know, you can go to the most desperately poor places in the world and see people do things with a water bottle you never thought was possible. Right. Well. Fortunately, uh, getting back to Elysium, uh, Dr. Garente says he's committed to never, ever making a claim that's not substantiated by evidence. Mm. So that's interesting. And I did find amusing that when a reporter from New York Magazine interviewed some of those Nobel Prize winners on the Science Advisory Board, who were also taking bases, most of them seemed pretty unimpressed <laughs> with the effects. They're like, I don't know what's doing. It could be placebo. Nice. You know, which was pretty... <laughs> <laughs> which was pretty sweet. Well, and it, also if you think about like, if you think about a drug that gives you the power to sort of surmount aging, like, do you feel yourself aging? Yeah. Right. So like, even if this was like a perfect one, like 100% cured aging, you not feeling something yeah, doesn't you, tell me really much. Yeah. You'd only, you'd, you'd only realize it when you get to like 60 and you're like, and you're or, or 70 and you're like, Hey, I'm feeling pretty good. Right. And then we take a bunch of objective data and their, their plans are really fascinating. Like, they want access. They request access to like your Fitbit account and stuff. Right, right. So like, as you're taking the drug, they're gonna they're gonna see like, are people sleeping longer? Are people less restless in their sleep? Are people getting more you know steps on average? And if you do it, you know, sort of twenty three and Me style mm. with huge amounts of data, you're gonna find some interesting stuff. Right. Well, it's been a while, but I wanted to give you guys a chance to practice your um, patient counseling. Uh, abilities by turning to everyone's favorite horrible corner of the internet, Yahoo Questions, uh, to, uh, to s just to see what you can do. Levi, are you ready? Are you ready to flex your your patient count? I mean, I know you're an M1 with only two weeks of medical school under your belt, but <laughs> hey, man, this is this is an opportunity. Yes, he, sir. He uh, looks ready to go. Yeah, I think he does. I do have an exam in twenty minutes. So. Oh well, then we better get then get, we'd better get started. Let's, get your get your war face on, Eli <laughs> or Levi. Let's start with this patient, this person who has a, a skin problem. Is using a razor to remove layer of my skin gonna help me get rid of acne scars? What do you? <laughs> um, what do you mean? It's a very, by, it's a very simple question. <laughs> what do you mean by layer of your skin? <laughs> if, well, how many layers do we have? Like just absolute number of layers. How many? I, layers? I guess it depends on what you're. Because I mean, you can divide it up into like epidermis and dermis. But then, if you want to, you can divide those up into more subdivisions. Yeah. yeah so if you take your epidermis off, you're not going to get to where the scar is. And you're going to bleed. If you take your dermis off, the top layer of your dermis off, like your papillary dermis, you've just given yourself a third degree burn and it will have to heal either by skin graft. Putting a new meaning to razor burn. Oh, what? yeah. Yeah. I'm talking like you take a razor and you remove the top layer of skin such that like the top of the skin or even the skin, depending on who you ask. And so that like what's left below just bleeds and is white, like is white tissue. And if you were to push on it, it doesn't blanch at all. That's like that is now the definition of a full thickness burn. And it will have to heal from the outside in. 
Just the way like a skinned knee so does. That sounds good. You can get rid of those so acne scars. Right? You, mu- you, you might, might actually. The way to go? You may create <laughs> but a nice big new scar. <laughs> you might create a scar the size of the entire plate that, of skin that you removed. What about a random orbit sander? Is that <laughs> is that a good idea? <laughs> I just hit it with a Dremel, sand- you're fine. <laughs> sander to skin can never be a bad idea. <laughs> 80 grit I hear 60 grit sandpaper I hey if you've you got bad take, scars go go for 50 I hear you can take <laughs> tattoos off that way well I'm pretty mm. sure by the way you can also but you you mm, no, no that's, that's, uh, that's such a not a good idea in mm, so many ways Matt and say we did all right well let's uh let's move on to uh this uh questioner this patient who uh, is very concerned so I was playing with my dog with my friends so my friends dared me to eat dog food in my dog's plate. So I did and now my stomach hurts and my throat is tingling. Please help, am I gonna die? Is this normal if you eat dog food? I'm allergic to shellfish and tree nuts, if this helps. <laughs> well now he's gonna have to shit out, out your $600 money for an EpiPen. <laughs> Uh, gosh. Who knows what was in your dog food? That's the first thing. Yeah. I mean, Bunch of corn. It's probably corn and canner's meat. No big deal. Yeah. Touche. Yeah. yeah. The, whatever goes in sausage, plus some really cheap grain. Yeah. Probably corn. No biggie. And who, honestly, has any? Am I the only one here that has tried? You see those little dog treats. Eventually, you get oh, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Your excitement <laughs> level is getting me excited. I gotta give it a shot. Right. <laughs> and then it turns out not as impressive. <laughs> yeah, but those. Wait, wait, what dog treats are you talking about? Like the dog uh, bone? A little, like a milk yeah. bone? Oh. oh, no, not the milk bones. I haven't tried those. I was just saying something. Why do you? I'm talking <laughs> about a little, like, you know, a little beef, you know, I think they're called beefums. You know, oh. Was it like the, chew, the little one? chewy kind? Yeah, when I was a kid, my dog's super stoked on them. I mean, it's like, it's like, uh, like a poor man's beef jerky, you know, it's like beef jerky with lots of wheat gluten or something it's, it's <laughs> probably higher quality than what ends up on some of the like party pizza stuff and i eat those so mm, yeah, it's a good it's a good point uh, i just want to say that uh, we, get, we gotta take you response you had a tostinos buddy move up <laughs> we're gonna take you to a tour of the hot pocket factory first shift to third shift they fill hot pockets right on third shift they make dog, they make Charlie Bear treat. dog treats. <laughs> Same stuff goes in, different thing comes out. <laughs> Fun fact, creator of the Hot Pocket, UC Irvine professor, my alma mater. Really? Did yeah. did, did he have a Nobel Prize? He did not. He did not. But he That's had weird. a boatload of money and some buildings named after him. Yeah. All because of Hot Pockets. Huh. I, love, I, I like Hot Pockets. I hear there's no money in Hot Pockets, so that can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> They're uh, cheap, man. I would just like to uh, promote the idea of using uh, the word beefum as a term of endearment for your significant other. <laughs> I'll ask Lisa. Yeah. Hello, beefums. Hello, beefums. I'll try it for a week. I'll give you a report next time. <laughs> it's not the worst I've ever heard. No. Casually introduce it. Yeah. I mean, we call, we call people all Suddenly. sorts of food names and animal names. You know, honey, deer. So why not animal food names? It's a different spelling of deer, though, I believe. Yeah. So. Yeah, sure, it, it, but. Yeah. Wait, it is? But but well, I would like to about, say. We talk yeah, about. D-E-R, puppies, not D-E-R. This, I know, but we talk blown. about. We talk about, like, puppy <laughs> love. everything. 
I do think that this would be an excellent chance for people to call into the podcast to, you know, tell us after they do their research, of course, to figure out what what actually works and and doesn't work with this beefums. Yeah, please do. <laughs> All right. Uh, I feel like we're gonna get some good stories. Yeah, that's my hope. Uh, here's here's another patient who has a vision problem. I like the sensation of coldness on my eyeballs. I chew the gum, then touch the gum on my eyes. But I'm scared this may damage my eyesight. I know it's weird, but please don't judge. I just want to know if this is dangerous. <laughs> so there's a product called Roto Z Eye Drops. All right, it's a Japanese product, and they put mint. They're mint infused eye drops. Oh. A buddy of mine had them, and these things. Oh my gosh, you feel like you have slept the whole night, just like boom, wide awake. Really? So I sympathize. I can't give you medical advice, but I can sympathize once again. Wait. I, I would recommend not putting something in your mouth and then in your eye. Uh, <laughs> does, does your eye actually feel cold, though? Because I feel like it would feel hot. No, it is like a burst of cold air on your eyes. It is the most bizarre sensation. Yeah, like mentholated eyeball. Yeah. Mm. I'm ordering this stuff Roto for our next Z show. <laughs> oh, my God. We should put in some Roto. Not indoors, on... but it's interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. What is, I, I, okay, whatever, guy. Basically, what we're going to do is get Dave stoned clandestinely and then put Roto Z eye drops in him. Okay. <laughs> Dave I'm does going, not seem opposed to this. I'm, I'll, all right. Every time I kiss my dog on the lips, I get blisters on my lips. They go away eventually the same day. But what's up with that? I love this voice How did you find that I voice? chose. I don't know. It's just some random text-to-speech thing. I wait. I'm gonna play that again because this is my favorite one. Every time I kiss my dog on the lips, I get blisters on my lips. They go away eventually the same day. But what's up with that? I get uh, what? um uh don't do that. It seems like a pretty clear case of aversion therapy that you might, you know, be like, oh, that's a, I guess lip blisters ain't good. Don't feel good. All right. I don't think we need to cover that anymore. Just, yeah. How would you get blisters from a dog smooch, though? My, think about what the dog's been licking. Like what? A, a, a bottle of bleach? What, what would, anyway, we don't need to speculate. Although no concerns are dumb. No, no, no. I think, Matt, I think you had something to say. Well, I mean, my first instinct before he said the time frame of it was potentially herpes. Because, you know, you would think that, I guess I don't know if dogs get them, but I mean, you know, oral or genitalia. Although there is a difference in the prevalence in different areas, you can get either in either place. So I don't know if dogs can be a vector, but the fact that it goes away within a day mm -hmm. makes me think that that's probably not the case. Sounds chemical more than viral. Yeah. But, all right. Well, as an owner of uh, two dogs and a girlfriend who may or may not smooch her dogs because she loves them so. I currently have no blisters. Okay, good. <laughs> it's good. something in the dog treats. Very good. Yeah. Beefums. <laughs> The, you know that pink slime stuff that everyone made like a huge deal about? Yeah. The like chicken meal product that's been purified, right. for lack of a better term? Right. It's probably that. Yeah, okay. Pink, it's always pink slime. All right. Let's try another one. I'd like to bathe in fresh milk. However, I'm not sure how many cups of milk I'm supposed to pour into the water of the bathtub. My bathtub is pretty normal sized. 
And also I want to know if it's okay if I bathe my face in it as well. Thank you. You're I like, welcome. I feel like half of this question is for a physicist. <laughs> what is the volume of the average tub? Yes. My, I'm, I'm thinking here about 30 to 40 gallons. It actually yeah. turns yeah. out to be more than the average shower. Don't yeah. dilute it. It's pure um, whole milk. Pure whole milk, That's right? Bathe in. So Only the best. Yeah, pure. I free, would say half free, and half. Free range. Free <laughs> Remember range. Me. Organic. <laughs> heavy whipping cream. Yeah. Uh, raw. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. So God's, that was that was the question. My I gotta answer your I question would... with a question. Do you intend on making this raw milk? <laughs> Or pasteurized milk. If you could, I'll tell you what, the holy grail would be to suspend an actual cow above your, above your tub and then just get it right from the cow. You just described my post-exam plans. (laughs) (laughs) This is a new kind of shower, guys. I was going to say, shower time. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Last one. How can I get Oreos out of my foreskin? You know, I, what I like about this is the directness. Simple question. Just cut to it. Simple question. What is this person to do? Bathe in milk. <laughs> and call a friend. <laughs> How do these things happen? Please tell me that's How do they happen? All right. I want to thank our listeners for joining us today on this uh, lovely journey that we call the Short Code Podcast. Uh, if you like what you hear, go to iTunes, whether you use iTunes or not. Give us a review. The reviews there help us grow the show. As always, we're listening all over the place. Don't make me guilt trip you again. Just visit theshortcode.com and give us some ideas for our next show or feedback on this one or questions we might be able to answer for you about medical school. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our editor and engineer is Aline Sanduk. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox. And our closing music is by Agrifox. Talk to you in one week.